Well, good morning, Lamar Avenue. It's good to be with you and looking forward to being with you over the next 20 years. I mean, uh, uh, several months. Uh, that's really good to know that you've got to put up with me for a few months, and as well as John Cannon. Thank you for your fellowship, your friendship, your smiles, your laughter, and uh, we're grateful to be together. I want to begin with uh, uh, kind of something that illustrates where churches are today. So this side of the auditorium, the worship center, sanctuary, whatever you want to call it, I want you just to remember this phrase, and I'll cue you when you need to say it. Oh, that's good. This side, I want you to say, and I'll cue you when you need to say it, oh, that's bad. You ready? Well, I went for a ride in my friend's airplane last week. I was enjoying the ride until the engine quit. Fortunately, there was a parachute available. But on the way down, the parachute didn't work. I happened to notice a hay field with a hay wagon. But I also noticed there were times on a pitchfork sticking straight up. Well, I missed the tines on the pitchfork, but I missed the wagon as well. Well, you find in life there's always good and there's always bad, right? I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just part of life. And churches go through seasons in their life when there's good seasons and when there's bad seasons. It's part of being human. It's, part of, it, it's just part of what it means to be church. Open your Bibles, if you will, to some... Uh, book of Acts that many of us who grew up in the tribe of the Churches of Christ, we, we believe we really know this book really well. We've handpicked all the stories of baptism. We've handpicked all the stories of the great fellowship in Acts chapter 2. I'd like for you to open to Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were done through among the people through the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared to join them. None of the rest dared to join them, but the people held them in high esteem. Yet more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, great numbers of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats in order that Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he came by. A great number of people would also gather from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all cured. Will you pray with me? Oh Lord, I thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. It's by your grace that we are saved not that of ourselves, it's a free gift. And we pray, God, that we would live as your people in this place at this time. And Lord, we come this morning with all kinds of brokenness in our lives, with doubts, with fears, with struggles, with family stuff and economics, all kinds of stuff we bring to you, we lay it at your feet. We also know, Father, there is a stirring within us that longs for something better. Give us wisdom to live well. Give us wisdom to be your people. In the name of Christ, I pray. 
Amen. I love the book of Acts. I grew up weaned on the book of Acts. Many of the sermons I heard in my childhood were from the book of Acts. I mean, there's what sh- men, men and brethren, what shall we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, Acts chapter 2. And all the conversion stories about Cornelius and the Ethiopian eunuch and Lydia. I love the book of Acts. It's a great book. But I've been guilty of something with Acts. I've picked and chosen what I wanted to emphasize in Acts without reading it as a whole story of how the church is morphing and developing and resisting and accepting and growing and expanding. I've been very selective how I've read the book of Acts. How about you? Very selective. Could you tell the story of Acts? That's what we're going to do this morning for a few moments. Once upon a time, the Jerusalem church owned the city. I mean, they owned the city. They met openly in temple courts, Solomon's portico, 512. People swarmed to the new faith like crazy, like by the hundreds, thousands, 514. Peter walked around, and people just wanted to get in his shadow to be healed of their disease. Those were the days, my friend. We thought they would never end. Excitement, miracles, explosive growth, chapter 5, verse 12. 3,000 baptisms in one sermon at the end of Acts 2, and just as I am had not even been written yet. It's an incredible time. Peter walked around the city dripping with so much spiritual power that people were healed just in a shadow, as we've mentioned. It was like you had died and gone to heaven. Can you imagine being there in those days? Can you imagine putting yourself in that time period and witnessing all these things, 3,000 people coming and being baptized. The Holy Spirit descending upon the apostles. I mean, and all those in the room. I mean, it, an incredible time where the Spirit of God was doing something. It was like you had died and gone to heaven. God was showing up around every corner, everywhere you looked. The world was being turned upside down, Acts 4, following. You were up to your elbows in kingdom business. It was wonderful, and you wanted it to last how long? forever you ever been part of a church where it went through a season of growth and dynamic worship and excitement and ministry and people coming to christ and being baptized into christ and you think man this has been a great year i hope this never ends and then another season comes oh that's bad oh that's sad where'd it go well it didn't last did it even in the book of acts In Acts chapter 7, Stephen preached his bold, risky sermon. And they loved it. No, they didn't. They killed him for his courage. Then Saul was unleashed on the Jerusalem church in Acts 7, 58. Cut a swath of the believers like a sift through wheat. It's a sad time. Believers were stunned. Then they were afraid. Then they began to flee the city And Luke records that all the believers were scattered. Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Only the apostles remained behind. And just like that, the tide turned. Gladness turned to sadness. Madness filled the air. Chaos was everywhere. People were running. People were scared. They fleed the city. 
Christians fled. The church dwindled. Thousands became hundreds, became simply dozens due to persecution. The first third of Acts, 26 cha 28 chapters, the first third of Acts shows a church that no matter what they went through, they stayed focused on Christ, they stayed focused on the gospel, they stayed focused, they adjusted, they were flexible, they were not stuck in the mud on anything. It shows them from a small group to a mega church, from nobodies to somebodies, to a force to be reckoned with, and then peace to persecution, from a mega church back to a small church. They handled everything in stride. That's the story. And I'm sticking to it. It's God's word. Size didn't matter. Circumstances didn't matter. What mattered was mission. Why are we here? Who are we? What are we about? What is our focus? Who do we belong to? This is the Jesus that we are preaching, the resurrected Christ. No matter what, they kept the gospel of Jesus Christ front and center. You know, there's a certain rhythm to the life in the kingdom. And the rhythm is ups and downs, good times and bad times, rough times, peaks and valleys. This church has been through it in your 100-plus year history. It happens. It's life. Life happens. We're just not very fond of the kingdom rhythm of ups and downs. We like comfort. We like stability. We like routine. We'd prefer anything that does not mess with our routine, right? We like safety. We like predictability. We are fond of our habits and traditions and comfortable routines and customs. Aren't we, church? Is it right to say amen in this church? Amen. Yes, life in the kingdom seldom stands still. We move from churches that wax and wane. We move from periods of peace to times of tension. That's the way it is. That's life. Life seldom moves in a straight line. There's all kinds of twists and turns and surprises. There's all, times, all kinds of things that happen that we have no control over. And there are many things we do have control over. We move from confidence to fear, from effectiveness to frustration. The culture changes, and we don't know what to do. So we tend to rally around each other and circle the wagons in the old westerns. And you know what's happening when they're circling the wagons, don't you? The arrows are beginning to come and the Indians are coming. And you know good and well that's what the end of that story is going to be. You might have one or two left. And so circle the wagons is not a really powerful metaphor for the church at all, an image. Everyone wants the church in the early days. We love being a part of the church that's on its way up. We love excitement, miracles, growth healing, exciting things happen, energy. We want to be a part of that church. We're not so fond of struggle. We're not so fond of hard conversations. We're not so fond of having to think through some things without running and bailing. We're not so fond of the rhythm of the kingdom, the kingdom of ups and downs and hard work and investment and emotional growth. We want it easy. 
We want it comfortable. We want stability. Big word. But that's not the way the kingdom works, and it never has. The rhythm is there for a reason. I've never really grown very well in my life without being pushed, without someone almost getting in my face, without somebody challenging me, without somebody asking me the hard questions. I will tend to default to what is easy. Being raised by a single parent, one sister, started working early mowing lawns, worked at the theater, hauled hay, went on wheat harvest in southwest Oklahoma. I grew up in a family of farmers, a family that were wheat farmers and cotton farmers. They were people who worked hard, give you the shirt off the back. There was always plenty of food, but we worked hard. I was taught a work ethic. I started paying our home bills when I was 15 years old because my mother worked two jobs. And she left at 5 in the morning and got home at 7 in the evening. She was not lazy. I started fix, taking care of my sister, fixing our meals. Before mother got home, I'd go down to the, west, to, the, to the store. We called it Piggly Wiggly. Anybody remember Piggly Wigglies? All right, that just told me how old you are, okay? I'd go to Piggly Wiggly, and I would uh, tell the grocer, I said, uh, Mr. Jones, uh, mom's not paid till Friday, it's Monday, and we're kind of low on food. She sent me here, and he said, oh, just sign the ticket, it'll be fine. Those days are gone, aren't they? Sign the ticket, I'll trust your mama, she'll come in Friday when she gets paid, she'll pay, and I'd get the milk and the cereal and the potatoes, and mama taught me how to fix things. I grew up working hard. I grew up really hard. So when it came to church, I didn't mind hard work. When it came to church, it wasn't come, sit, listen, and leave for me. My life was church. My mother never missed going to church. She dragged us kids long ways. We lived across the street from the church building. <laughs> and I'd play basketball on Sunday afternoons with my friends in our front yard and wear the, the grass off. You know, we, we're in a rent house, and the landlord got frustrated because there's no grass, and my next-door neighbor who went to church with us said, leave those kids alone, they're having a good time, I'll fix the grass. And we'd wait till the last minute to jump in the shower and go across the street to church on Sunday night. We went. We were there, we were consistent. I don't hardly remember any sermons, except the book of Acts. I remember those, because we heard them over and over and over again. I remember the preacher who did not even believe that the Holy Spirit dwelled in him, but his life showed it, and I just lived by it. He was a good man. He was a loving man. He was the father I never had. He taught me how to fish. He came to my baseball games. He came to the father-son football banquet in high school, drove 30 miles, preached there on weekends, five kids of his own. I was all, it modeled to me character and commitment and care. That's hard work, but... The rhythm of the kingdom in the church. It doesn't take much for people to go, well, if that doesn't change, I'm out of here. Or get focused on something that's really not that big a deal. And all of a sudden, we just turn like, give up 20 years of relationships and just walk away. Or we stay in the pew and we just fold our arms and we're not involved. Where in the world are those values from? They're not from the gospel. 
They're not from Christ, are they? They're not from the character of our Lord. They're not from the heart of Christian faith. You see, without the rhythm of being pushed to work, to work emotionally, to work intellectually, to work with our hands, to, without that rhythm of the kingdom, we would be tempted to be unfaithful to God and not grow up. The middle chapter of Acts tells a second season in the life of the church. Persecution waned, petered out, and the Jerusalem Christians came back to the city in the middle chapters of Acts. And the Jerusalem church, those early Christians, continued steadfastly the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and prayer and the breaking of bread and meeting daily in the temple court. Wow. They tried to get back to normal, but they never got back. What? That's not, I, really? Yep, that's right. Things had changed. The focus has shifted from Jews to, help me, Gentiles. From Jerusalem to Caesarea Antioch. So this section opens with the story of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. All the way through 1118 is the story of Cornelius, a devout man, a God-fearer who was a Gentile. You always know what's important to Luke by how much material he gives to something. He gives a chapter and a half to the story of Cornelius to let you know several things. God is at work among the Gentiles. The church itself was different. Jerusalem, Jerusalem was no longer the only game in town, church. Churches were springing up all over the Mediterranean world. God was letting the gospel cat out of the bag, the Jewish bag. And Jerusalem wasn't sure how they wanted to handle that anymore, church. In the early days, the Jerusalem church knew how to reach people. Oh, there was a time back at Lamar Avenue, I remember 502 people. I remember when we used to, and I remember when, and in the old days we had, and blah. So we live in nostalgia, folding our arms, knowing it will never come back like it was. But yet God's still calling us, Sidney. You're here. God's calling you to something, church. He's calling you to celebrate the past and how he's worked. He's calling you to honor the past. He's calling you to build upon the good things of the past. But God is always a God of the future and moves us forward and is always ahead of us. Amen to that? And he's always providing. Amen to that? I'll train you sooner or later. You don't have to have me cue you. As long as the audience was just like them. And the culture had not changed. They knew how to do church. So long as you were willing to be a good Jew in order to be a good Christian, you were welcome. But now the gospel was escaping into the larger world. Different people were needing to hear the good news and were. They were broken in different ways. They struggled in different ways with different problems. And to reach that larger world, the Jerusalem church had to think larger, and God showed them the way. And Peter showed up with Cornelius. And there's a little phrase in Acts chapter 10 that you may have missed through the years. 
that Peter stayed in the home of Simon the Tanner at the end of chapter 10 of Acts. What do tanners deal with? Dead animal skins. What do Jewish people say don't touch? Dead animals. Who changed? Peter embraced this gospel, got this vision for what it meant to live this new life and accept people different than himself as Gentiles. He followed Jesus. He was sent to the household of Cornelius. He stayed in the home of Simon the Tanner. The Tanner. He spent the night at, at the home what he was, and went against everything he was taught as a Jewish person. Don't get around dead animals or dead animal skins in particular. He overcame his own religious heritage to do what God wanted him to do. Where's the amens? You see, sometimes we love our heritage more than we love God's will. Sometimes we love our customs and our traditions and our habits and our comfort more than we love God's will. Many in the Jerusalem church did not like what Peter and Paul had done. They did not want to reach a different audience. We want it like Paris used to be. We want it like Lamar Avenue used to be. They wouldn't adapt to different people, different ways, and different priorities. Push come to shove. They valued their traditions more than they did God's mission. And though God tried to drag them into the future, for the sake of his purpose, a large segment of the Jerusalem church would rather do the same comfortable things in the same comfortable ways, expecting new results. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. Marriage counseling. A couple comes and sees me. The man's hesitant, crosses his arms, doesn't want to be there. His wife has cajoled him into coming. And I say, you don't want to be here, do you? He said, nope. I don't think I need to talk, talk to you about anything. I said, okay, you sit right there. And could I get you a glass of water, coffee, tea, what? No, I'm fine. Translation, get this over with quick. I'm going home. Well, tell me about what's going on in this marriage, she tells me. Pretty soon he says, well, that's not right. Wait, I didn't think you were interested in being here. Well, that's just her perspective. I got a perspective. Oh, now we're talking. So I work through that, give them a few things to work on. See me in two weeks, they come back. Well, how's it been going? You done anything he's asked you to do? He crosses his arms. I think what you asked us to do was silly. This sharing at night how I feel. I think it's stupid. I got work to do and I got to get in bed. I'm not going to do that. She says, nope, he's not done that. And I think that all those other things you've asked us to do are silly. This is just a waste of our time. I said, okay. Well, I'll see you in two weeks. Comes back. I ask him, nope, not anything. I said, look, you're wanting your marriage to get better, and you don't want to do anything different, as silly as it may be sound to you, right? Well, I wouldn't say it that way. Well, I'm telling you, my time is done with you. 
well, you're the preacher. You're supposed to be helping our marriage. I said, I can't help what you won't do. I'm done. I'm through. You need to see somebody else. Maybe if you saw a $100 an hour counselor rather than the free preacher, it might make a difference. So if you need me to charge you today, it'll be $300. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. A definition of insanity, church, is this. Doing the same things over and over and expecting different results. It's true in marriage. It's true in companies. It's true in our lives. It's true in football, basketball, and baseball teams. It's true, it's true, it's true. The middle section of Acts records a church that struggled with transition. That's where you are as a church. You're in a time of transition. You either accept it and see it as an opportunity to learn, to grow, to think about who we are. The middle sections of Acts tells the story of a church struggling with transition. There are no more statements about explosive growth in the middle chapter of Acts. There's no more 3,000 responses to a single sermon. There's, the Jerusalem church took its eyes off of the gospel ball. They never hit their stride again. And with that, the focus of Acts shifts entirely from the Jerusalem Jewish focus to the Gentile world, to Athens 17, Antioch, Ephesus 18, 19. The Mediterranean world, the Gentiles were receiving the gospel. The Jews had circled the wagons and were resistant to everything possible. Now I want you to think about in your own life, when have good things happened in your life? When you've made certain choices to live a certain way. Is that not correct? When you've made certain choices to be with a certain kind of people. Some things happen to us because it's the grace of God and we didn't do anything, right? Transition in Scripture is where God did His best work and you're a church in transition. Let me walk you real quickly through some transitions. The flood waters that swept away a wicked world and saved righteous Noah. Transition. Abraham trading his house for a tent and moving west. Transition. Israel traveling from Egypt to the promised land. Transition. David confessing and repenting and turning over a new leaf in his life. Transition. Peter stepping out of the boat to walk on the water in a storm to touch Jesus. Transition. Although he did take his eyes off a little bit and almost drowned. I just like to think, it's not in the Bible, but I just imagine, I think Jesus is going, shaking his head, saying, glad you got on the water and walking on the water, grabs him by the scruff of the neck and, and drags him over to the boat. And Peter's going, blah, 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 just choking, you know. I, I think Jesus is smiling even at that when he fell in the water. At least he got out of the boat. Saul dusting himself off the Damascus road to become Jesus' apostle. The gospel shifting from Jerusalem to Antioch and to the whole world. All of that is transition. All of that is transition. Every bit of it. It's periods of what we call comfort, convenience, and stability that poses the greatest threat to God's people because we lose our focus, we lose the edge, 
We lose the sense of mission. We think it becomes about us and what we like and our preferences of doing church and being church and what's comfortable. The challenge of God's people is never to keep the things the same but always respond to the God, in godly ways to the transitions that are happening in our lives. Lamar Avenue, that's where you are. That's where you're going to be several months. You're in a time of transition. It's not a time to do this. It's a time to open up your hearts, open up your hands, open up your resources, open up your life, and do ministry. Why? The body of Christ is the body of Christ, and it's bigger than the preacher in the pulpit. And God can minister, and God can use you as a body during this time for this church to grow, to add people, to visit people, to care for people, to do all the things you've done and what you're known for and what you have good things going here. This is not a time to sit back and wait. This is not a time to say, oh, it's all the four elders, it's all the four elders. Listen, four elders cannot effectively shepherd a church this size. There is no way possible and work a full-time job. You can't do it. They need it. The body has to shepherd the body. The body has to help the body, has to encourage the weak and help the timid and, and build, bind up the brokenhearted. First Thessalonians chapter 5, 12 following says it's the body that does those things. Encourage the timid, help the weak, bind up the brokenhearted, Luke chapter 4. It's periods of stability. Faithfulness to God is not about protecting our routines and our comfort. It is about responding to the rhythms of the kingdom of God in our life that pushes us to depend on God, grow in God, lean on His grace, and go forward. The challenge for God's people is to never keep things the same. We have no control over the rhythms of the kingdom. God chooses most of the, all those. God chooses when it's time for the church to grow, when it's time to decline. God decides when the churches are, will prosper. God decides so many of the things and the rhythms of life. Trust God no matter what. Job said, even though he slay me, I will trust him. I'm one of those congenital doubters. Anybody with me? I believe I was born with struggles with doubt. Oh, you're a preacher. You know the Bible. You, 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 you're a person of faith. You can't. Some people have an easy faith, and they believe it. God said it, and that's it. I've never been that way. It got compounded with a father who had an alcohol struggle that was a preacher, and a father who had an anger problem that was a preacher, and a father who committed adultery when I was 11 years of age. My doubt, my struggle with God started very early, and when at 11 years of age in southwest Oklahoma, on the back of a wheat truck, going to the grain elevator at 9 o'clock at night, begging God, looking at the moon and looking at the stars, saying, God, why did this happen? God, are you there? What in the world is going? God, I love you. I don't know what to do. I'm an 11-year-old boy, and I'm feeling very, very bad. Where are you, God? Faith has never come easy for me. I know that may shock you that I'm a preacher, but I find that if I'm honest, it helps you. I find that if I'm honest about the real struggles of faith and about what's really going on in my life, and not fake it, not just quote a bunch of scriptures, but say, come on, where in the world is your faith? Where's your doubt? How are you growing? What's going on in your life? Those of you that have lost loved ones in the last year, the, dark, the, the nights get long. 
the nights get long and it's hard to sleep and the transitions in your life and the rhythm is just overwhelming is god still god yes do i still believe in god yes god can take anything you give him just give it to him give it to him he wants honesty he wants openness he wants this relationship and the jewish christians were all about in general their own comfort zone and what they always wanted i can understand it i don't like change either change we don't control things so getting us to lunch here's the application the first third of acts tells us about a church that handles transition well the second third of Acts tells us about a church that's struggling with transition. And the third, church of, third section of Acts toward the end tells us about a church that just absolutely, the Jerusalem church, rejected any transition at all to the Gentile world. They circled the wagons and it didn't go well. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 21, the last mention of the Jerusalem church is this. Let me just read it to you. Paul greeted James and the elders of the Jerusalem church reporting what God had done among the Gentiles. They said to him, you see, brother Paul, how many thousands of Jews have believed and all of them are zealous for the law. Huh. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? It's the last mention. In other words, when the big boys from Jerusalem came, at first they were excited about the Gentiles, but then they weren't, and they're accusing Paul of violating the law, not true, of teaching them not to circumcise their children, not true. But they wanted what they wanted when they wanted it. Five times, five times in two and a half chapters, these people that continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, teaching, fellowship, and Acts 2, tried to kill Paul. How is it that church people can change so fast, so quickly, on a dime? How does that happen? How is the people from Acts 2, these are the people that are so frustrated with Paul, five times it mentioned they tried to kill him in different ways. What kind of church is that? What kind of people are they? Come on. Here's what became important to the Jerusalem Christians. It wasn't Gentiles obeying the gospel and people being reached of different ethnic groups and different traditions and different customs. It was what was important was their traditions and their customs at their place. It wasn't not lost people being saved. But what mattered was circumcision and Sabbath, even though Paul said neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts, but faith that express, expresses itself through love. They were more interested in not becoming more like Christ, but protecting the Hebrew way of life. And I'm sympathetic with them. I understand. Change is hard. But here's what's interesting. The last mention of the Jerusalem church in another 15 years, Vespasian, the emperor, came in, took over Jerusalem. Everybody's gone. The next mention of the Jerusalem church, some say, is a group called the Ebionites. The Ebionites. E-B-I. 
O-N-I-T-E-S. You can look them up. About 120 A.D., after the first century, it's a group of people that believed in Jesus as the Messiah. They circumcised their children. They held to the law of Moses, and they were a little band outside of Jerusalem that was interested in me and thee, and I worry about thee. Make sense? That's the last mention of this great church from Acts chapter 2. So where are you in the life of the Lamar Avenue Church of Christ? What's it going to take for you to celebrate the past, honor the great things you're doing, but push yourself back to the gospel of Jesus Christ again and reaching people and being God's people and adjusting your own priorities? What's that going to take? That's what we're going to do. What's the story of this church? Once upon a time, the Lamar Avenue Church. What time is it in this church? There's a time to be born. Ecclesiastes say there's a time to die. What things need to die at Lamar Avenue? And what things need to have more life? These are the questions. Now John Cannon's a lot nicer preacher than I am. So you only have to put up with me twice a month. But my goal in being with you is to love you and encourage you, but to challenge you in the spirit of the Lord according to the truth of God. Amen to that? John will do the same. He's just a little nicer about it. All right? So I'm looking forward to being with you. But this morning, I wanted to challenge you to rethink the story of the book of Acts and what happens to a people that says, we like it the way it is, versus following God with where he leads us. I think you're going to choose the second one. I just think you are. If you need to respond today to be baptized into Christ and raised to walk a new life, what in the world are you waiting for? Here's another thing you might need to do. These elders need some encouragement. Jared needs encouragement. Keith needs encouragement. People in this office need encouragement. People in this church, you know somebody that's been going through a tough time. It's okay right now as we stand and sing. It's all right to go to them and just hug them. Tell them you're praying for them. Let's be church. Let's stand and sing.